0: Good evening, everybody. It's time to begin our service this evening. Tonight we'll have three songs, and then Joe will have our reading and prayer. Uh, One more song, and then Chris will have our lesson. Our first song tonight is number 866, I Will Call Upon the Lord. If you would, let stand for this song, please. I will call upon the Lord.
1: I will call upon.
0: Our next song is on the overhead only. Uh, It is Cornerstone. We sang this Wednesday night and a couple weeks ago. So if you were here Wednesday, we're doing it again. Our next song is number 829, Mansion Over the Hilltop. After this, Joe will have our reading and prayer.
1: I'm satisfied with just be love.
2: Scripture reading tonight is John 3, 16, so you don't need to open up your Bibles. Everybody should know what that is. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this wonderful day. Thank you, Father, for the ability and the privilege to come here and to worship you and to give you thanks for all that you've done for us. Father, to show you how we appreciate you and your son, your plan of salvation, Father, how we appreciate all the blessings that you've given us, both spiritual and physical, Father, we have many on our hearts that are sick and hurting. Each one of us has several and we ask your blessings upon these that they might get stronger and better and might be able to return to their normal degree of health and help come back and be with us again. Father, we know that there is a lot of grief in the in this in this body and we pray that all of the good memories of hilda will help us to overcome all of those all of these bad sad feelings but father we rejoice in knowing the kind of person that she was and that where she is she is in where she knows she wanted to be. Father, we have many problems in our nation and in our world. The biggest problem I think we have, Father, is that we don't follow you, don't give you the glory and give you the position that you have in this universe. Father, help us to spread the word Help us to teach others, help us to show them by our example that you are the greatest and that you are the only hope that we have. Be with our service, Father, and look at our hearts and understand and and see that we love you and that we want to serve you. Forgive us when we fall short of that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
0: Our next song this evening is number 345. 345, It Is Well. If you would, let's stand for this song, please. Sing all four verses.
1: When he-
0: Be seated. Song of Invitation be number 103. Number 103.
3: Good evening. I'm going to look at some of the shortest passages in Scripture. Uh, Ever since you were probably small, about the time you started Learning how to read. Uh, you you found verses like John eleven, thirty five, right? Jesus swept, and you found verses like First Thessalonians five, sixteen, rejoice always. And those were verses that you kind of uh, a little bit of tongue in cheek say, Well, I've memorized these. Well, yeah, you memorized them. They were two words, right? And so there seems to be uh, some Power, even in these, maybe especially in these short statements in scripture. And so I wanted to think through what those statements meant for us during this series, but through a specific lens. Next year, we're focusing on evangelism. And I kind of wanted to get a jump start on 2023's study of evangelism tonight in this series. Uh, So this is going to be one that runs all over into the new year for us. But I wanted to look at these shortest passages in Scripture through the lens of evangelism. What do they mean uh, for our evangelism? And so tonight we're looking at John eleven thirty-five. 35. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and be turning to John 11, verse 35. The passage uh, that Joe read for us this, this evening in John three sixteen really shows Jesus' compassion, really shows the Father's compassion. And that's, that's what we're focused on tonight is, is compassion. You see it well in John 11. Um, I've got, a, a, obviously, a fictional uh, text thread on the screen behind me. You can read through that as I talk. But let me tell you the story, in case you're not familiar with it, what's going on in John chapter 11. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus live in the city of Bethany. It's about two miles from Jerusalem. Jesus has spent some time in Jerusalem by this point and the people that are there the Jewish leadership that's there wants to kill him and he knows it and the disciples know it the problem is Martha has sent a letter at least the house of Martha some some their friends or their family or they themselves have sent a, a note to Jesus saying hey, Lazarus is very very ill can you come Will you come heal him? Because they, they certainly understand that he's capable of this. They, they understand his power. They are followers. They are disciples. And it seems likely uh, that at least this family has at the very least financially supported Jesus' ministry up until this time. Um, but certainly they are also devoted followers of his. And so you would expect Jesus, because he is so compassionate, to drop everything he has... And, and run to his friend's bedside, but that's not what he does. And he and Lazarus are friends. Um, you're going to see that as we walk through this story, if you don't already, aren't already, already aware of that. They're, they're, they're friends. And so you would expect him to drop everything he has and run to his friend's side, even if he doesn't have any power that's what we would do if one of our friends was was gravely ill we would we would run to their to them right and, and just to be there compassion we feel that don't we and so you would expect Jesus to do that in John 11 but that's not what he does he spends more time right where he's at and the disciples they don't get what's going on they think oh Lazarus is sleeping so he's he's going to get better and they they think this is a good thing. Jesus clarifies really what he means when he says well, Lazarus is dead and I'm glad I wasn't there so that you can see the glory of God. He's got something going on. There's some undercurrent that he's already got some some plans going on here. Uh with Lazarus's resurrection, he already knows what he's going to do. The disciples don't. Martha and Mary don't. Um, but Jesus does. He knows exactly what he's going to do, and so he stays right where he is in John eleven, in the city where he is there. When he gets the letter, he he just stays there for for several days, and it's it's a three day journey to Bethany from where he's at, and so. <clears throat> Eventually he gets up and he leads the disciples back. Now, you remember Thomas, right? Doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas has a whole new persona in John chapter 11. He is fierce, faithful Thomas in, in John chapter 11 because when Jesus says, hey, let's go back to Bethany and let's, let's be with Lazarus. I'm, I'm going to do something that you need to see with Lazarus. And so the disciples say, well, Jesus, I don't know if you know your geography very well or not, but Bethany and Jerusalem are very close, and the Jews in Jerusalem want you dead. And so if you go, they're going to kill you. And Jesus says, let's let's go. What's so interesting about Thomas is, he says, let's go so that we can die with him. Faithful, fierce Thomas shows up in John chapter 11. That's who he's going to be for the rest of his life, we're left to assume. They get to Bethany, finally. Martha's the first one that comes out to Jesus, and she falls at his feet. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And she says, do you believe in the resurrection? Of course, of course I believe in the resurrection. I know that at the end of time, he's going to, to be raised. I believe that. And he says, well, I, I am the resurrection and the life. Now she's got a decision to make, right? What, where is she Where's she going to put her grief? She calls Mary and says, hey, the teacher's calling for you. And so Mary leaves the house where she's mourning. And the Jewish tradition here is that you would sometimes pay people to come alongside you and to bear your grief. Uh, This is a pretty common thing, especially for this family. They could have had friends, no doubt had friends who would have willingly came, but they also have the financial ability to hire in mourners. And these are just people like Job's friends that would have come alongside the family and just sat with them and wept with them and kind of shared their pain. It's kind of a beautiful scene, isn't it? Just someone sharing your grief. We are familiar with that as well. Uh, When we go to funeral homes and hospitals and things like that, we, we share someone's grief like that and so mary is in the house with these people and they're all recounting stories probably of lazarus things like what we would do at a funeral home or in a hospital but word comes from martha to mary saying the teacher's calling for you and he's finally here and they've been longing for him to finally come and so mary gets up and runs to him and the people that are in the house think, oh, she must be going to the grave to mourn," And so they follow her out there when she meets Jesus. And she says the exact same thing that Martha said to him. Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus is done with conversation at this point. And in fact, the word that John uses in, 11, in chapter 11, uh, when he, he, he snorted, he snorted in anger. And so what's he so mad about? Well, I, I think. So we can read between the lines here and kind of figure out he's mad at the effects of sin. I think that's a reasonable conclusion that we can come to. He's mad at death. He knows that he's come to conquer it. And here, one of his closest friends has fallen prey to this thing that he came to conquer. And so he looks around and he sees all the people mourning uh, and all this grief and pain and all this is coming. It's just washing over him. And then you come to John eleven thirty five, 35. Jesus wept. Well, why did he weep? We, we've already talked about it. He knows exactly what he's going to do. right? He knows he's going to raise Lazarus just minutes from now. He's going to look at the tomb and he's going to, to say, I'm going to raise him from the dead, remove the stone. When he says that, Martha speaks up. Lord, Lord, he's been dead for four days. There's going to be a stench. You you probably shouldn't remove the stone. There's an awful lot of people in this story telling the Lord of the universe what he ought not do. (laughs) I think that's ironic because he knows exactly what he's going to do and he's acting for their benefit because he has this amazing compassion. He's so willing to share the pain of others. That's something a lot of us, including me, shrink back from. It's hard. It's a burden, isn't it? It's a joy, but it's also a burden because grief seems to wash over all of us. If you're in the immediate vicinity of someone who is in pain like that, like these people are, it seems to wash over you and you feel their pain, don't you? There, there's a responsibility to grieving with people, there's also um, a joy of doing that, of sharing their burden. But that's called compassion, and Jesus had it in spades. But it's so interesting to me that here, just moments before He tells them to roll the stone away, that He weeps. You've got to wonder why. If I'm Him... And I know that just in two minutes, I'm going to look at Martha and say, roll the stone away. I'm going to raise him from the dead. And just you can't tell this story without sharing this tidbit. Have you ever noticed that he calls his name? What would have happened had Jesus just said, come out? I wonder if all the dead would have come out, you know. But he, he calls Lazarus name, come out. And he does. And he's. They've wrapped him as they did in the first century. as Jesus was wrapped, uh, they've wrapped him head to toe in this linen and, and he'm uh, left to assume he kind of hops out and his head's still covered, his hands are still covered. he's still completely wrapped in the burial clothes and Jesus tells him to unwrap him and, and he's free and the rest is history. one day on down the line, Lazarus will die again, but that day's not today. Today he's been resurrected in this Really amazing, beautiful, glorifying way. There's a lot that we need to unpack from this story. But that's going to have to wait for another day because what we need to focus on now is John eleven thirty five. Why did he weep? Why is he, why is he mourning? Why is he, why is he crying? This compassion that he is so known for has overwhelmed him, he's, he's, he's bearing their grief. That's compassion, and it takes something from us. It's a sacrifice to be compassionate. It takes a toll on you to be compassionate. I think it's a toll that's worth paying. Let me give you some verses. You may want to just take a screenshot of this and look these up uh, on your own uh, tonight and this week. But these are every instance where compassion is found. This word for compassion is found in all of Scripture. Notice that they're all in the Gospels. Isn't that interesting? Not a single person is ever said to have this kind of compassion that's not Jesus. He's the only one in all of Scripture that is said to be compassionate in this way. Not Paul, not Barnabas the great encourager, not Peter, no one else. None of the disciples, none of the other early Christians are ever said to be compassionate like this. This is only said of Jesus. I think that's interesting. He has it when he looks at crowds often. You notice that that's the majority of the time. The majority of these passages are when he looks out at a crowd. And Matthew 9, may maybe one of the more famous passages there, at least it is in my mind. Uh, when he looks out of the crowd and he sees them. If, if you've got your, your mental Bible open or your physical Bible open, you can flip over to Matthew nine thirty six and you'll see that when he looks out at the crowd, he sees them beaten and harassed like sheep without a shepherd. These people are being assaulted by Satan. He's taking advantage of them, and there's nothing they can do. They're completely at his will. He's just taking advantage of them. And the very next words out of Matthew's mouth are, and Jesus had compassion on them because they were like this, because this was happening to to them. He has compassion when he sees crowds because that's what he sees when he sees a group of people together, just a bunch of people who are being beaten and assaulted by Satan who don't have the power or the stamina or the endurance or the faith to be able to stand up against him. And he knows that's going to change. Because that's not true for you. You're inside of Christ. You have his power. Satan can't take advantage of you. You can go to him, right? You go to him every time you sin. You step outside of Christ and you Make your move towards Satan. But if you stay inside of Christ, he can't get you. He doesn't have that kind of power anymore. He's been limited. He's been restrained. But in the first century, that's not true. He has more authority in the first century. After the cross, things change and he's been restrained. But pre-cross, he's got a little bit more free will, a little bit more movement, a little bit more access to us. And so when Jesus looks at crowds... He sees them just in pain. They don't don't have any way of taking care of themselves. There's no defense mechanism. Can you imagine what a football game would be like without the line there to protect the quarterback? He would just get mowed down every time, wouldn't he? That's what Jesus sees every time he looks at a crowd. You're just defenseless. So he has compassion on them. He also uses this word multiple times here, four times, when He heals people. Uh, in fact, there's only one occasion in which this word is used about Him. Um, a father is going to bring his son to Jesus. Uh, he's going to bring him to the disciples first, and they can't cast out the demon. Do you remember this story? They, The father brings... The, the boy, his son, to the disciples, and they can't cast it out. And Jesus is up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John. Uh, and when he comes down the mountain, the father's still there. doesn't know where else to go. And so he, he says to Jesus, if you have compassion on us, will you heal my son? And Jesus has this great thought. If you will, if I can... I will. Of course I'm going to show compassion to this boy. He's being beaten and he's harassed by Satan. And I can't help but have compassion on him because that's who he is. That's who Jesus is. He's compassionate. It's at his heart. It's his core. You see that several times as he heals people. Uh, you see it with a leper on one occasion. Um uh, I don't know how much you know about leprosy in the first century, but not to be too crude, but it would start affecting your appendages first. Uh, and you would lose fingers, then you would lose toes, and you would lose hands, you would lose feet, you would lose arms, you would lose legs, until eventually there wasn't anything left of you. It's just a wasting away disease. And at some point along that disease, Jesus runs into a leper who's got some form of that malady and is literally falling apart piece by piece, and he has compassion on him. He has this several times as he heals people. What is so interesting to me is he tells three parables, and they may be three of your favorite parables. There are three of the most well-known parables, at least, in which he deals with compassion. Matthew 18 is the parable of the unforgiving servant. Do you remember this one? He, he tells this parable uh, about this man who owes a king a treasury worth of debt. And he begs the king to have compassion on him, and the king does. And you remember the rest of the story, of course. The, the servant goes out and he finds somebody who owes him 20 or 50 bucks, and he throws him up against the wall and begs for, begs for compassion, and he, he, he won't give it to him, and so he throws him in prison. And Eventually the king gets word that he hadn't shown compassion The man that he had shown compassion to hadn't shown that compassion to others. And so he was held accountable for it. And Jesus turns it back on us and says, If you won't forgive your brother, I'm not going to forgive you either. It's Matthew 18, 27. There's compassion in forgiveness. Every time you forgive someone, that's a compassionate act. As you look through these verses later on, you're going to see compassion move Jesus to do something. Often, we'll see someone who needs assistance, someone who is hurting. And our hearts go out for them, right? There's a lot of times when you'll see or I'll see someone who is hurting or who needs help and we feel bad for them but we never actually do anything, right? James would liken that to you seeing someone who was cold and then you wishing him well. They maybe go find some food and find some warmth, but you never actually do anything to fix his condition. He says your faith is useless. You don't have faith. Compassion demands action. You'll Every time you see Jesus showing compassion towards someone, He's always doing something. He has compassion and so He does something. He has compassion and so He does something for them. In this instance in Matthew 18, 27, His compassion led Him and our compassion ought to lead us to forgiveness. Luke 10 is the parable of the Good Samaritan. You're familiar with that, I am sure. As the... Samaritan walks down the road uh, from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's a dangerous road, of course you know that. Uh, And he sees, as the story goes, told by Jesus, a man beaten and left for dead. And the last person you would think on the planet to help this guy comes along. And what's he do? He helps him. Because he had compassion on him. That's the word Jesus uses. He had compassion so he did something for his enemy. You have any enemies? You have people that run you down? People who take advantage of you? People who hurt you? Jesus says we show compassion to those people. One of the things compassion does when we live it out like this is it makes our faith very attractive to outsiders. The guy that asked Jesus, the, The question that led to the Good Samaritan parable didn't get that. He didn't understand it. And we struggle with that sometimes too, don't we? Compassion demands action. It demands, a great many times, action on the behalf of our enemies, the ones who have hurt us. But when we live like that, When we live like Christ, that's so attractive to outsiders, to non-believers. That's one of the things that pulls them closer to, to Him. Compassion has that ability. When we show compassion like that, it's attractive to outsiders. Luke 15 maybe uh, the most famous of of these parables. It's the parable of of the prodigal son. And in it, the youngest son has incredibly wounded his father. I I don't know if you are aware of all the cultural context that plays into this parable or not. So I'm going to go through it very quickly. But he essentially says to his dad, I wish you were dead. Hand me what's mine now so I can go do what I want to do. How awful would that be if one of our children said that, right? Just rips your heart out. They've taken advantage and they've taken advantage in the worst possible way. We don't know. Jesus doesn't include for us a timeline here. But time passes and eventually the boy comes to his senses. He looks back at his life and under his father's roof and his so much better. Even my, my dad's servants had it better than I do right now. At least they were fed and clothed and, and had shelter. And so he goes back home, but his dad apparently has been looking for him on the porch every night for the last however many days, months, years. And when he sees the boy off in the distance, you know what this dignified man does? He throws off his robe. He starts running towards the boy. He grabs him in a big bear hug, and he has... Compassion on him. The people that are closest to us, who hurt us, often hurt us more than our enemies ever could, can't they? The person, the people that we let in, uh, your spouse or your children, your best friends, your, your tribe, your community, your people, when they wound us, often the wounds there go deeper than any enemy or any normal person not in that tribe could ever inflict on us. And he says, You have compassion on them too. Because that's who we are. We're people of compassion. We have a saying in our culture, right? We're, we're moved to compassion. I saw somebody and I was moved to compassion. That, that's, that's a pretty good biblical definition for compassion because it implies action. I was compassionate so I did something. I moved, I helped, I aided. I sacrificed part of me so that they could be stronger. That's hard, right? That's incredibly difficult. And we struggle with that for a lot of reasons, I think. But one of the big ones is, I don't want to hurt me. I don't want to sacrifice me to make anyone feel better. I like me. I like me being comfortable, right? Flip over to Philippians 2. Philippians chapter 2. That mindset, while it is our knee-jerk reaction, is not a biblical reaction. It's not who He calls us to be. Though it seems to be uh, the the natural knee-jerk reaction that we usually have. He says in Philippians 2 verse 3, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And he backs that up by saying, you do that, look in your text, because Jesus did that. John 3, 16. He ties it all back together. You act like this because Jesus acted like this. When you act like this, when we are moved with compassion when we forgive like this, when uh, we are compassionate towards the ones who hurt us, who are on the outside, when we are compassionate towards our loved ones who hurt us, that is attractive to the outside world because they don't understand compassion like that. Only God understands compassion like that. That's one of his things. And so when we take up that mantle and we're willing to sacrifice ourselves so that we can share in the grief of someone else, So that we can absorb the wound that someone else has given us. When we're moved with compassion like that. God is pleased with it. It's attracted to outsiders. And we're taking up our cross and following after him. We're dying to ourselves. And we're living to him. We need to be moved with compassion. He was. He talked about it an awful lot. And in fact, when he looked at people who were hurting, the disenfranchised, the ones who needed help, the ones who were defenseless, this was the attitude that he had. It was one of compassion. He hurt for them. We need to hurt for people. I need to see people. Right? Often. You'll see someone who needs help, but you don't actually see their soul. You see maybe their condition. And so you let yourself off the hook by making some excuse. I I do the exact same thing of making some excuse uh, as to why I should not or can't or won't help them. But if we start really looking at people as souls, we move to help them. We're moved with compassion. And every time we do that, we die a little bit to ourselves and we live a little bit more to him. And that's the goal of Christianity. And So Jesus wept because he was compassionate. That's something we need to take on ourselves. That's who we need to be. To share others' griefs, to absorb the wounds others have given us so that we can give light to a dark world. Tonight, if you haven't been baptized into Christ, that's the very first step to becoming part of his family, to having your sins washed away. Maybe you've already made that decision tonight and you're struggling. Maybe you need some compassion. Maybe you need some some help.
4: Good evening, church family. A couple announcements before we are, we are dismissed. As a reminder that this Wednesday is Stepping Stone Supper. Mexican is on the menu. Uh, that's, that is at 5.30. Looking forward to seeing everybody there for that. Also, December 11th, next Sunday, we have a lot going on. There's a middle school and high school devotional at the Williams House. This will be our $5 gift exchange. Also, uh, Life Group 2, that's Gary's Life Group, We'll be meeting at Kevin and Sheila Harvey's house after worship, bring finger foods and life group one. That's Rick's life group. will be meeting that evening as well here at the building, uh, bring super sandwiches for that. Um, December 15th uh, will be the cookie exchange at Linda White's house at 630. Um, all ladies will bring two dozen cookies and some finger food. Um, also uh, on in two weeks, December 17th, Life Group 2 on a Saturday will be hosting uh, Wreath Across America, and everyone's invited to go to that as well at Woodland Cemetery. Uh, everybody will meet here at the building at 11 o'clock in the morning. Um, also, uh, on Wednesday, the 14th, Young at Heart, if you're planning on going to Young at Heart, there's a sign-up sheet in the foyer board. Please sign up for that. That's on Wednesday, the 14th, at 10.30 And also spare times, December 18th, Uh, that will be after services uh, Sunday evening. And also our missions um, uh, team is asking for donations for wrapping paper, tape, and gift tags and gift boxes. If you can help out with that, there's a box out in the foyer uh, you can put that in. Updates on our prayer list, remember continue to keep uh, Terry Egner in your prayers, Uh, keep Terry Leap gary lee steve Rowe, and jennifer baker and also uh steve mcleod will have surgery this thursday at cleveland clinic Um, melissa will be driving him there and back so keep him in your prayers while he's having surgery um as well um just continue to remember the ones we've lost uh uh, janet bricker uh sister passed away i found out uh, this evening so remember uh uh, that family in your prayers remember continue to keep babe jones's family in your prayers uh, keep steven's family in your prayers and keep um, the marvin jordan's family in your prayers as well at this time that's all the announcements i have sorry for the long announcements but if you had not had the opportunity to take the lord's supper it has been prepared in the conference room you may leave and do that now and we'll sing one more song and be dismissed in prayer
0: Our last song this evening is on the overhead only. Sanctuary. Quick little story about this. I've known this song for a long time. Uh, A few years ago, Hilda came up to me. And, said, do you know that song? I said, yeah. She goes, it's pretty. I said, it is. She goes, you need to sing that. So I did. (laughs) As Hilda said to do, so you did. So I did it. Sanctuary.
1: Green
0: pray with me dear lord thank you for this day and everything you've given us thank you for allowing us to come together as brothers and sisters in christ to learn more and worship you dear lord please be with everyone on the prayer list especially the stevens following the loss of hilda and please be with us as we go uh, to our workplace into school and throughout the rest of our weekly endeavors and in jesus name amen